My mother showed her love for me in many ways, and part of that love was showing through the food she prepared for me. Welcome to the Telling It Our Way podcast. I'm Allie. And I'm Becca. And in this podcast, we'd bring you stories by disabled people about disabled people. Stories from the daily lives of self-advocates with intellectual and developmental disabilities. These are real people with complicated lives. They don't want your pity and they don't exist to inspire you. Yeah, this is not inspiration porn. So, Becca. Today, we're talking about food. Ah, yes. Ha. <laughs> and the timing could not be more perfect. We are coming up on some feasting holidays. What's your uh, favorite holiday food or treat or meal? And I know that you spent some time living in the Southwest, so what's your favorite thing food-wise out there? What do you miss? Well, okay. So as I've said on other episodes, I am a lifelong vegetarian. So in terms of holiday foods, I'm a real sides queen. I'm all about your mashed potatoes, your green bean casserole, your parsnips, right? Parsnips. Oh. Okay. You're not into parsnips? I don't have strong feelings about parsnips. They just never end up on a holiday table at my house. Oh, you got to change that. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> right. So uh, I'm all about sides, all about bread, all about the carbs. Those are my Midwest roots, right? And when I was out in the Southwest, right, you get the best kind of like fresh fruit, especially I have not found an avocado to my liking since I've come back to Ohio. Yeah, I don't think I've ever had a fresh avocado in my life. Oh, it'll change your life. That does sound nice. Yeah. But, I mean, in all fairness, Midwest is best. We've got the best food. Well, I'm from New England, and I have to say we might have to – those might be some fighting words here because I think New England, as far as things go, you got your Indian pudding, which is actually just a – old term for a pudding recipe that came over with the Puritans, but it uses cornmeal instead of flour. But it's got a lot of molasses and it's delicious. Okay. Well, you didn't sell it with that description. (laughs) What can you do? Apple pie. Okay. I don't know that New England can claim apple pie. I actually don't think the United States can claim apple pie. It's part of our colonialist roots. Well, I mean, this is clearly a contentious issue and we could be here all day, but we're not here actually to talk about our favorite foods. We're here to hear some stories about food. Right. I'm really excited to bring Diana's story to our listeners today. She tells the most beautiful story about one of her favorite things to eat as a child, and you can taste it as she's talking about it. Mm, Yeah, let's hear it. Um. I was pretty young, and the doctor's office was very far away. So my mom would cut my lunch after my appointment. And I would sometimes eat it outside, or if it was cold out. I would just eat it in the car and go home. It was the same lunch every time, which was fine with me. It was a sandwich with wheat bread, with creamy peanut butter, and honey and bananas. The bananas were my favorite because I could 
have a mixture when I bit into it. I really liked the honey. That was a special treat for me. My mama cut it in fall, so it was one big sandwich with four little bite-sized portions. And then when I was finished with that, I would eat grapes. And then I would drink apple juice. I still love apple juice and peanut butter to this day. The peanut butter was always creamy. I didn't like crunchy peanut butter. Bananas were just right, not too mushy. And the honey was very sweet. My mom would put it in a brown bag for me and keep it safe in the car or bring it in if it was too hot out. My apple juice was a juice box. Sometimes I had two of them and sometimes I only had one or I would have one on the way there or two after my lunch. I just remember sitting in the back seat, eating my lunch, and then taking a nap on the way home. My mom always remembered napkins, and she never did forget to bring my lunch. And I thought it was the best lunch and tree ever. Thanks, Diana, for that story. What I love about Diana's story is that I can taste the sandwich. I can feel it in my mouth. It reminds me of one of the sandwiches my mom made me that was a comfort food when I was growing up, um, but really difficult to eat in the car. It was a fried egg sandwich, <laughs> runny yolks, white bread, ketchup delicious it was something I really loved and don't toast the bread the bread has to be mushy to really make it that delicious mm. you know I love hearing stories about about favorite foods about comfort foods um, but when I'm thinking about how food relates to kind of some of these topics we've talked through throughout the the course of our first season I've been thinking a lot about choice right and getting to choose what sort of foods that you want to eat and that's not always a guarantee in the lives of many people with intellectual and developmental disabilities no i mean for one thing food can be hard to afford it can be hard to access in terms of being able to make your own food mm -hmm. yeah right and and as we talked about earlier in in the season we got the burrito test here, right? Even if you've got foods that you like, you might not have the ability to make them whenever you want or make them for yourself at all. You know, doing some research for this uh, this episode, um, I found that the USDA has some really interesting statistics about food and folks with disabilities. So in 2021, households that included an adult with disability reported higher food insecurity rates than households with no adult with disabilities. Mm -hmm. So food insecure households are those that have difficulty at some time during the year providing enough food for all members of their family. Right, right. So we've got these issues around access to food, 
you know, just as a baseline, right? Affordability of food, food deserts, right? So where are the kinds of places where people with disabilities are living? And do they tend to be places that also tend to be food deserts? And we find that the answer is yes, of course, food deserts are related to lower socioeconomic status. And we know that more people with disabilities uh, have lower socioeconomic status than non-disabled people and, and so forth, right? They're all compounding issues. And sometimes we like to moralize food, right? I think that's one of our favorite American holidays is to just moralize, favorite American holidays, favorite American pastimes is to moralize food choice, to say like, oh, well, you're eating whole foods that's inherently healthier mm -hmm. and you're such a good person for that. And food is not a moral choice. Food is a choice that we make out of necessity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think we can talk about this some more, but I think I want to hear another story first. I'm excited to hear about Dorita's story. So she talks about her experience with some of the foods that her mom cooked for her as a child. She does. She does. So we're going to hear Dorita's story now. I have several favorite foods, but one of them was my mother's barbecue. She would cook a roast. Once it was done, she would tear it apart and douse it with barbecue sauce. It resembled a brown-red color and was very tender. It had a sweet smell that filled the house with the rich aroma of a sandwich I always looked forward to. One of my other favorite foods was mom's mac and cheese. She would cook the pasta until it was fork tender. Then she would drown it in cheese, milk, and butter. After baking for about an hour, it was done and had a very creamy texture and had a heavenly smell that permeated the entire kitchen. I always look forward to these dishes. Mom made them because she knew I loved them. They were dishes we had often, and I always look forward to them. Mom also made a chocolate pie that was to kill for. It was a mild and smooth chocolate that was not too strong. Coupled with the silky meringue made my eyes dance with anticipation. It was one of the things I really looked forward to. But I think my very favorite were the Dairy Queen chocolate milkshakes. Since I had cerebral palsy, mom was afraid to let me do a lot of things that other kids my age did for fear I'd get hurt. My theory was always that because of this, to compensate for this, we would stop more than the normal amount of times and get chocolate milkshakes. My parents knew I loved chocolate shakes and mom wanted me to have something that wouldn't hurt me. Except that I weighed 103 pounds in the third grade. Consequently, I matured a lot faster than I should have. My mother showed her love for me in many ways. And part of that love was showing through the food she prepared for me. All right.
right? Thank you, Joe Rita, for that story. I think what I really appreciate about that story, and actually the reason that I think we wanted to do a food episode at all is because food has so much meaning, right? It carries so much meaning. It, it, it is how we form connections with each other. And so I hear in Joe Rita's story the way that thinking about the food she had in childhood make her think through the relationship she had with her family members. And then now she's reflecting back on that after having decades and decades of experience. And I, I just think it's cool that, that food can bring us to this place to reflect on our entire lives. Well, they say food memories and scent memories in particular are our earliest memories, right? They bring up some of those most intimate moments that we have from our youngest periods um, and growing brain development. So it makes sense that food would inspire us to think really deeply back into our past. Mm -hmm. You know, actually, when I run storytelling workshops, one of the very first prompts I always start with is describe a food that you love with all of your senses. And that tends to get us kind of started to start to think through some of these other memories we have, too. Yeah. And I think that that can be a really important way to dig into some of the issues that we have. We talk about sometimes people with intellectual and developmental disabilities not having a seat at the table mm -hmm. and not being considered full citizens, right? And so being able to find common ground and to be able to dig into some of the things that we can all relate to can be really helpful. Yeah, I love that, right? And food is this thing that we can all relate to. We all eat. In fact, I'm going to go eat right now, actually. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds amazing. I think it's just about time for dinner. Yeah. Before we end, I want to thank our contributors, Diana and Dorita, our associate producer, Connor Smenner, and the Telling It Our Way advisory board members, Dorita Fox, Quinn Thomas, and Gavin Daly. And special thanks to WGTE and our producer, Chris Pfeiffer. To access transcripts for this show and any other show notes, please visit wgte.org slash our way. I'm Allie Day. And I'm Becca Monsalione. And you've been listening to Telling It Our Way. WGTE. Voices around us. WGTE is supported in part by American Rescue Plan Act funds allocated by the City of Toledo and the Lucas County Commissioners and administered by the Arts Commission.